You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Are we enjoying this lovely uh, California summer weather? (laughs) Anybody else just finished cutting all their weeds like me? Yeah, they're coming back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ah, it is wonderful. Um, I really did actually appreciate that. Um, I was helping my my buddy um, put in a lawn the other day, and they have to water it two to three times a day, so this is fantastic for them. And our lawn started getting a little crunchy, so it's like, okay, good, rain. Oh, no, I left the lawnmower out in the rain. Mm. So, but that's just life. Um, We today are going to be talking about the narrow gate. And this goes right along with the summary statements that Jesus has been talking about in the passage of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we began the year this way, talking about these important foundational pieces that Jesus wanted to convey to his people. And a lot of things are just done in real brief here, but when we look at them and look throughout all of Scripture, they really get elaborated. And so last week we talked about the golden rule, and the golden rule as opposed to the silver rule. I did not realize there was a silver rule last week, and I shared that. Um, the, The difference is subtle but important. The silver rule saying, don't do things you don't want done to you. That's important. That teaches us restraint. It teaches us not to do bad things to people. That's important. The golden rule says the same thing, but flipped on its head. Do things to others that you want them to do unto you. And so the difference and the importance there is that the silver rule is entirely focused on you. It's entirely focused on what you bad th- not wanting bad things to happen to you, thus you will restrain yourself. As opposed to the golden rule is talking about us together lifting one another up. It's a greater call. It's actually a call to action, to doing, to thinking about others and more than ourselves. And immediately after this, Jesus says in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So when we take things, these things into context, when we take that this was said right after the golden rule, thinking about others, thinking beyond yourselves, putting yourself to action, we have to realize that that's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge through our life, and we're going to be only successful that when we enter by the narrow gate. So we have to ask, we have to ask ourselves what the narrow gate really is. What is Jesus talking about here? What is the narrow gate that each and every one of us has to choose over the wide gate? And so the narrow gate, if I was to summarize in a moment, is Jesus. It's accepting Jesus, accepting his gospel message to us. So we should really have a good definition of what then the gospel is. What is it that we're accepting? And so when I thought about that and I considered, if I wanted to tell the fullness of the gospel to somebody, I would really just have to sit down and open up the Bible and let's go start to finish, let's read through this together. Because the entirety of scripture is God's good news to his people. The fact that it is here for us, that he made us, that he loves us, that he wants our highest, that he was there even when we failed. 
We could always turn back to him, that his forgiveness is unending towards us, that even when we deserved punishment, he relented when we repented and turned back to him. It is the message of good news to us. But when we say this to people, when we talk to them about the gospel, there's no way we can do that in its entirety because almost nobody can sit down with 54 hours and say, hey, let's read through this together right now. So we're going to have to summarize some things. We're going to have to condense. We're going to have to pull it together. So I was considering what are the important things we want to cover because this is just the narrow gate part of this message. I got a hit on this, but there's still more to this passage. And so I looked up and I thought, you know, I thought I've done this before. I thought I've actually talked about the gospel before in an entire sermon. And I looked back and June 13th, 2021, I actually did an entire message on the gospel. I thought that is such an amazing coincidence. That's a week from now that that would be the case. And so I went borrow, 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 borrow. And I added it into this. And so this is more of my medium message on the gospel. If you want the fullness, it's out there on our website, medium message of the gospel in its fullness. The gospel begins, <laughs> the gospel begins with a problem. That's why it's good news. It's good news because there's a problem that has to be overcome. And it's twofold. First of all, there's a separation between us and God. There's a chasm that cannot be crossed. We are out of his presence, or we were. I'm talking from the beginning standpoint when this happened. That just got loud. There is a separation. We need to be in God's presence. That was what the design was. That's what his desire is for us, that we walk with him. And because of our sins, we are now separated. And there's a consequence to that as well. This is the second part of the problem, that we will pay a penalty for our sin. There's a consequence of death. Out of Genesis 2, beginning in verse 16, it says, then, then the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And I thought about that, and as humans we try to maneuver things to, be, to fit in a way that works best for us. Like, well, God, were you really being truthful? Because he didn't die when he ate the fruit. And so we realized, well, the fruit itself isn't what was poisonous. So what is it that was going to cause the death to happen? What is the reality we have to face there? It wasn't the fruit. That's not the problem. It's what they did in eating the fruit. They chose to listen to a voice other than God. They chose to trade his truth for a lie. They chose to be deceived because it looked good. It was convenient in the moment. It's what I wanted, and it's going to satisfy me now. It was a trading of the truth for a lie. And when we choose something other than God, we create that separation. We've separated ourselves from the Lord. And we have to think, who is the Lord? The Lord is the giver of all life. In him is fullness of life. Nothing exists outside of him. If he decides, you know, I need a break, we're gone in an instant. <laughs> and I've wondered about that. How many times has that happened? And we just don't know. Because he can do that. And he goes, okay, it's been quiet for a little bit. We can bring him back. And then pff, we're here. We don't even know. 
It doesn't say he does that, but it doesn't say he can't. So we're not going to really talk about it beyond that. I just wonder. <laughs> but this idea that all life comes from God. And if you are cut off from God, you are cut off from life. And if you are cut off from life, what does that result in? Death. The consequence of our sin is death. We face death because of it. It is our due. It was what, something we actually have chosen. It's not just something that's been put upon us. We were told this would happen. We made that choice. We deserve it. And then we have the separation to go along with that. Isaiah 59, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to the law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Paul recount, he resays this in Romans 1, verses 24 through 32. I'm not going to read through them at this moment, but in the summary of it, he's talking about all the things that man turned to aside from God, that they chose to. They chose to trade truth for this lie because it just felt good at this point in time. It satisfied me within the moment, and God allowed them their choice. It's something we have to realize, something that we have to own, is that God has given us choice. When we use this language that God sends people places, he's going to send them to hell, no, he allowed them to go. They chose it. They were warned. They were told. And they made that decision, and he's gracious enough to give us our choices. And we have to own it, that it's a narrow gate. It's one way to Jesus, to life forevermore, and realizing it's not what God wanted for us. It was never what he wanted. He doesn't want it now. He didn't want it then. Out of Ezekiel 33, it says, and you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God didn't want this for humanity, but he is a righteous and just God. He will punish. He will bring people to account because he is righteous. We have to understand this. We have to own this. We have to be able to walk this out. We can't blame God for our choice realizing he doesn't want this for anybody. He doesn't desire this for anybody. He doesn't take any pleasure in condemning a single soul. God would have everyone turn to him and believe. It's open to everyone. God is the one who provided the solution to all mankind. 
And it began with promise. We always talk about that the promise was made to the woman, but it actually wasn't. If you go back and look, it was made to the snake. Like, they're going to beat you someday. (laughs) And he promised a redeemer would come. A redeemer would set things right. But he didn't say who it was. He didn't say when it would be. And he didn't say how it would be done at that point. He goes into that later on. But at that point, it's simply a promise that someday things will be right. And then a lot of time went on, and he actually brought up Moses, raised up Moses as a leader for Israel, and he gave us the law. And the law is called our tutor. It's meant to teach us something. It's 613 commandments and a lot of accounts of a lot of mistakes that people made that we're supposed to learn from. It's it's called our tutor. So what is it that we're meant to learn? Because the Redeemer isn't here yet. So what are we learning during this time? We're actually being called to learn the lesson that we should have already known back at the beginning, that you cannot do this yourself. As humanity, we continue to fail when we rely on our humanity. We were never meant to achieve and make this all work on our own. We were always at every moment meant to walk with God. He was there with them in the garden. He walked with them in the cool of the day. He was present. That was always the intention, that we would lie upon him as our father, that we would turn to him, that we would enjoy this with him. That is the ultimate lesson of the law. Are you going to turn to God through all of it? Because you can't do it yourself. I made it so hard. How did you not get that? Why did you try to do it? Why weren't you faithful to me, O Israel? Why didn't you turn to your Lord, O Israel? I've always been here for you, O Israel. And once that was fully walked out and people had to really own that they could not do it themselves, that they needed God to do this, to walk through this life, then, then he sent his Savior. Out of Romans 3, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now that's like college level reading right there. It was Paul, well educated, knew what he was saying, trying to convey the fullness and the best language that he had to his people. The people that God had given to him to lead for that time. He wanted to make sure they had it all of it, that he wasn't missing any of it. But how do we translate it into a sense that we can understand, own, and convey to others now? What is this talking about? I'm going to go back to Jesus' words. He said this very simply out of John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, in order that the world might be saved through him. The problem had to be solved. We had to understand 
how do we walk through this life? And he sent his son, Jesus, to show us. He sent him to walk through this life perfectly. He did it perfectly. How do you do this? this the gospel accounts this over and over again. He did nothing aside of the will of the Father. This is how you walk through life perfectly. You walk by the will of the Father. You are led by the Father continuously in every single thing that you do. How do we do this as humans? We don't. We keep turning to God. We rely on His grace and forgiveness. We rely on His strength and His Spirit to guide us, knowing that we can't be perfect like Christ. That's why Christ is here. That's why He came, because we couldn't do it. And he showed this to us. But that's not the only thing. There's still the problem to be solved. There's still the sin, the price that must be paid. And so he willingly went to the cross for all mankind, all humanity, and was able to pay that price because he is God. His value is beyond measure, worthy of all people and all things throughout all time. Only he could pay that price for us all. And he did, not because of anything we had done, not because he deserved it in any way, but because he chose to, because he loves us, to redeem us from our choices, from our sin, from the condemnation that we brought upon ourselves. And then on the third day, he raised himself up again to show that he is, has power even over death and that we can have our future and our hope in him if we simply turn to him as Lord and Savior, that we can have true life with God once again as we were always meant to. But there is only one way to this. This is the narrow gate. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is the gate that everyone that wants to enter into eternal life with the Father must pass through. Do you believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you accept that the way you were going, your life was sinful and wicked, despite what the world told you, that it was good, it was fine, keep doing this? Do you own that it was wrong? Do you own that you deserve everything that was coming your way that direction. Can you repent and turn back to God? Accept his free gift of salvation. Accept what he has done for you and through the strength that he provides, keep walking towards him along his way each and every day. This is the narrow gate that we must walk through and that we help guide others to. They have to walk through it themselves. You cannot walk through it for anyone but yourself, but you can lead people to it. You can show them. You can explain to them. You can guide them, but they have to walk through that gate. It begins with our repentance. Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion passion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is the wonderful gift that God has bought for us. And it leads to life, true life, life that we have to redefine 
away from the way the world talks about it. Out of John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When you look at the world's definition of, the, of life, they only really focus on the word abundantly and not really on the word life. Because the abundant life that Jesus is talking about here does not come through possessions. It doesn't come through things. It doesn't come through personal achievements as the world would have you believe that that's where fulfillment comes from. That's true life is when you have it all. I don't know of anybody who has it all that feels truly fulfilled in their life. That void will never be filled. There will always be a necessity for more. There will always be a drive for more. You will never satisfy your soul seeking after things, seeking after achievement. Abundant life has to be defined by God. And the abundant life is actually the moral of the entirety of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the most cynical book in the entire Bible. And yet, the heart of that message is to love the life the Lord has given you and those that are in that life with you. To enjoy the simple things, the simple things that were always there at the beginning, good food, company, blessings, children, family, friends, community. When you think about what you get to take with you into trueness of life, eternal life with the Lord, what do you get to take? You get to take your cleansed soul, which is fantastic. Amen. You didn't earn it. Jesus did. And you get to take that with you. And what else? the others that have also walked through the gate. We should understand that. If that's what enters into the trueness of life, fullness of life, should we not let that define the time we have here? That people are going to be what bring fullness of life. People that are in community together following after the Lord, encouraging each other, supporting each other, loving one another, lifting each other up. This brings the abundant life that Jesus was talking about. He never once said, hey, go be alone. The only time he said be alone is when you're going to go talk to the Father, and then you're not alone. <laughs> We're always meant to be together. But the way is hard. God understands this, that life is not always going to be easy. Not, life is not always going to be beautiful. It's not always going to be fullness of what we want it to be. He understands that it's going to be hard. Moses writes about this in Deuteronomy 8. Moses was around over a thousand years before Christ came, but he saw the Lord face to face. He walked with God. He understood this, the measure of this, and this is what he writes to us. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and figs and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you can dig copper, 
and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. And that, that sounds like the abundant life. That sounds like things are going to be good, Lord. But it's not all he says. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Not all of life is going to be easy. In fact, those nice, easy, calm parts of our life usually came out of something that was a trial, a challenge, a difficulty that God has brought us through, and we are a forgetful people. And he's saying, how will you walk through all of your life? It's honestly easy to be faithful to God when things are bad. And that's interesting to consider. But the church flourishes under persecution. When things are the hardest, it's easiest to turn to God because he's the one who brings hope within us. He's the one that actually has the answers to the big questions. When things are easy, when things are good, it's so much, it is one of the biggest temptations during that time as Moses is saying to us here to say, I did this. I've got this handled. Why would I need God? And to wander away from the Lord. How will you walk out the entirety of your life? Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This entire life is a test. Every moment of every day is a test. Will you walk with God? That's the call. That's the emphasis. That's Jesus came to restore us. He bought us back so that we could walk with him again. He paid our price not so we could go, thanks, I still like this. I'm going to do that for a while. It is not ever God's desire that we return to this, that we return to the wickedness of our former life. Every step of every day is meant to be with God. How will we walk it out and God understands that we're not perfect. There will be times we stumble. There will be times we trip up. There will be times we fall. But are we doing that because things happen and we're imperfect? Or because we're longing back to that wide, easy gate? And do we begin, do we allow ourselves to wander because we ask the original question? 
did God really say? Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And God didn't say that. No, he actually said you may eat of every tree of the garden, but not of this one. So what does the devil do? He twists the Lord's words. He says it in a way that's appealing, that you know, did he really say that? No, he said we could have it all, and it looks so good. And I mean, would God really want me to be unhappy? Would God really want me to be unfulfilled? Is it really that big a deal? I mean, it's, it's such good fruit. It's such good things. Would God really want this for me? I mean, look around. I'm doing so much better than all of them. Is it really that bad? Did God really say it like that? Did he really mean it like that? If you're asking yourself that question, the answer is probably yes, he did. <laughs> we can't trade truth for a convenient lie. We can't allow the world to pull us back to it. 1 John 2 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I actually have a little pause right there when I read that. That should be a sobering moment for us to stop and consider, do we have the love of the world still in us? Do we look at this gift of God as, well, I really don't want to go to hell, and so I've chosen God, and you're restraining yourself, and you're not, but you're spending all of your time looking in that gate, longing at that gate. Oh, I miss it. I miss it so much. But no, I know I'm not supposed to, and I don't want to go to hell, so I'm not going to do that, but oh, I really, really miss it. Isn't that the love of the world? Do you still desire the world? We have to check the condition of our soul. Because when we're doing that, we are putting ourselves into temptation. You are not guarding yourself. You have to take the time to go, no, I, uh, no, 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 oh, ah, Jesus, that's right. The good things of the Lord. Keep your eyes and your life pure. When he says this, if your eyes are full of darkness, your whole body will be full of darkness. That is more than just turning out the lights. When you keep looking towards the things of the world and allowing yourself to be desiring them, then it will fill you. It will consume you. It will take over. In our first service, Matt talked about a part of the Feast of Weeks, they'd, they'd wave two loaves of bread. It was part of just the ritual that they took place. And the two loaves were filled with leaven. And they represent Israel and the Gentiles, which is all of humanity. And the leaven represents sin. Why is it that God chose to use leaven as an example here? Well, when you leaven something, it fills everything. It consumes all the space. A different example that I've always found very persuasive 
is if I gave you a glass of water and I put one drop of sewage in it, would you take a drink? Because the entire thing has been polluted, contaminated. It immediately fills all of it. It's become unclean. We have to keep things pure. As best as we can, we're people. We're going to make mistakes. Every now and then, there's going to get some dirt in that water. We're people. It's are you putting the dirt in the water because it's fun? There's a totally different choice going on there than you tripped. How are we walking through this life? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. That's pleasure, coveting and lust, and personal aggrandizement is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We talked last week about where do you want your treasure to be? Do you want it to be in this world at this time, or do you want it to be in eternity with God? God is gracious enough to give us our choice. If you want it here and now, the pleasures of the here and now, then he will give that to you. But it comes at the expense of the other. You do not get both. He's put both paths before you. This one will lead to life forevermore. It's a hard road. It's a difficult road. It's a narrow gate that you're going to have to accept. But it leads to life. But if you take this road, the wide road that's full of people, the easy one, that road will lead to destruction. Out of Revelation 20, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't know what hell will be in its entirety. I have never read a single description that seems okay enough. But it is described here as the second death. And I've had a couple conversations recently about this and about um, when I usually talk about the gospel, I don't actually talk about this very much. I don't talk about the consequences of sin. I don't tend to talk about um, hellfire or condemnation or that we, we deserve this. I, I don't. I, I own that, that I don't talk about it a lot. When we take time to talk about the gospel, we're going to talk about it in its fullness. The reason I don't talk about it a lot is to me the difference between the silver rule and the golden rule is that when I tell people about their God, about Jesus, the one that paid this price, the one that came to save the whole world, what relationship do I want them to have with God? Why do I want them to choose God? 
do I want them to choose God out of fear of condemnation? It's true. We won't hide from it that that is something that's going on. Is that why I want them to choose God? Or do I want them to choose God because they want to walk with God? Because they want to be with God? They want to have the abundant life that He offers. They want to be able to be with Him forevermore. They want to follow His good precepts and His wisdom and His guidance. They want to have life. Both are part of the gospel. There is a reality of what we escape and the fullness that we enter into. What do we want people to choose? What decisions do we want them to live out when they walk with life? Both need to be there to a degree. You should walk in awestruck reverence of God. He is God Almighty. We should understand that. We should not take this lightly in any way, that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and in a moment, if he would so decide, everything ends. That's God. We should hold him in this high regard. And we also need to understand that he wants to walk through life with you. He wants to turn to you. He wants a personal relationship with every single one of his people. And will we walk through life this way, acknowledging he is God and I'm a person. I am his person. And so we all have a choice. The narrow gate lies before us and the wide gate also lies before us and we have to choose. But the very last part of this line has always been very sad to me. It says, few find it. Few find that narrow gate. That should bring a deep sadness on us all. But at the same time, it should bring deep conviction that we can show people the narrow gate. You've already found it. How big a number can we make that word few? to bring them to the narrow gate that they may escape destruction and know life forevermore with their Lord. Amen?